Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well, um, that's more like it. I mean, a, a win is a win. Was it the prettiest win? Uh, no, it was not. Um, is is it ever in the no, FCS game? Yeah, it's not. It's, it's not. Was, it's like it's almost like it's almost like we've been reminded a lot of times that it wasn't the prettiest win <laughs> over the past couple of days. Um, so yeah, we're we'll, we're going to talk about the uh, Indiana State game. Um, but just to give you guys a heads up, uh, coming up a little bit later in the show, we're going to have Jay Sharman on uh, from Lake the Posts to kind of talk about the the mentality of a Northwestern fan right now and kind of getting our heads around what you know where we like what what we should be thinking about and where our heads should be at as we go through the you know the beginning of the season and the September swoon and whatnot. So uh, stay tuned. You know Jay's going to be coming up in just a sec. But uh, before we get to him, we do need to discuss the game. I mean, first quarter, Evan Hall was running left, right, and everywhere over. Uh, just a completely outmatched Sycamore team. Yeah, he was, I mean, he was good. His, his speed was on display. Um, those first couple drives, Northwestern looked really awesome and dominant on offense. Um, you had the beautiful pass to Malik Washington. Hunter was, was dialing, uh, you know, things slowed down as the game went on. Indiana State was also playing a bit of a you know a weird scheme. You heard you heard Fitz talk about it. What the 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 three two six, um, which probably you know a, a, like gave Hull some more holes than he might usually see. Like, I you guys were there. Was that in place from the get go, or was that something that they switched switched to? I feel like they were I in mean, and, they were in and out of it some, but uh... they were. And I mean, we'll we'll get to it. I mean, they had some success with it against the pass, but I mean, it was, they were just, it was body on body. They were just getting plowed, you know, on the ground. Yeah. I mean, so Hunter Johnson, after having a wonderful game against Michigan state had a mediocre at best game, nine of 16, 66 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Um, and, and John, we, we like in the stands, we were noticing some things that were a little concerning. Yeah, I mean, I think there there's been so much talk over the past couple of days, and and again, it's I think we want to talk about some of the stuff in a general way because of everything that is baked into this as a Northwestern fan with Jay, you know, when we get Jay on, but very quick people to be like going glass half empty on Hunter one week off of you know a fantastic performance from his end against Michigan State, um, and. There were certainly, you know, some issues that the Hunter, you know, checkdowns are a little of an issue if he's pressured in the pocket, um, you know, some issues. We still are seeing, you know, despite all the success the team's having running the ball um, in this particular game, a couple of those issues, you know, on read option and, and some of those. It's just kind of some some off some pass reads and some run reads. I would say that the the, the biggest issue relative to the pass was I think it was it's that it's that bugaboo that popped up in week one where it's like you will see our guards B 
be fine on pass pro for three or four straight plays in a row. They're not getting blown off the ball. They're not getting beaten around the outside. They're not getting pushed around. And then a swim move will get one of them. And suddenly there's a guy coming free. And I think to the extent that Indiana State's weird scheme affected things, one of the the plays that a lot of people pointed to specifically with Hunter was there was a play where he sat in the pocket for a long time and a long time. And you're like, throw the ball, throw the ball. And finally, um, someone, you know, a, a guy got through up the middle and sacked him. And on that play um, that I think a lot of people, like one of the biggest things to take away from that is they rushed like three and an FCS linebacker broke through between our center and our guard. And it was so classic of, of the issue of the first two weeks in that there was a swim move involved with it. Um, that was, that was part of an issue, but there was part of it. There was an extent to which he easily could have been double teamed and neither guy kind of knew exactly how much to pick him up. And somehow he got this. It was just that classic, like, Oh guys, come on. Like this is easily fixable. This guy could easily have been stopped. And then he got in the middle. So it's, it's a couple of those bugaboos only, and and I, I bring that up only because I think there is that theme in this game that we'll cover a little bit of, particularly on offense, of like, come on guys, like, it's a couple of these little like hiccup stupid things that have just got to get worked out. That you know, stop stepping on your own, you know, stop tying your own shoelaces together, so we can just like beat the crap out of this team. So I mean, like, taking from that, and I just. I want to loop back a little bit to what I think the three of us really thought was going to be true coming into this season. And this was the type of game that we expected to see this season, i.e. a game where Northwestern's offense um, had some fits and starts and the defense was rock solid because that's been the Northwestern that we've been watching for close to 10 years. (laughs) That's a good point. And a lot of the reason we were so optimistic and fired up about this team is when we looked at the holes on defense and the guys we had to replace, we had lots of talented players um, to fill in. Now, I think what we've learned is that Northwestern's defense maybe doesn't go as deep as we thought it did, right? And there's some guys that had a lot of talent that hadn't had a ton of reps um, that have struggled. And there's some guys that haven't had a lot of reps that are starting to look much, much better. And I think what really stood out to me in this game was very much a classic Northwestern performance, zero close calls on defense. And, and actually, I don't even know how often you can say that about a Northwestern of the past, right? Like there was not a single miraculous turnover or goal line stand or fourth down in the red zone or missed field goal. Indiana State didn't cross the Northwestern 35-yard line until the very last drive of the game. I want to emphasize that. There was, and only then because of a late hit. Yeah, there was zero threat this entire game to our defense. And that's that's the level of defense that we've come to expect and we expected to see coming into this year. And I, and I realize, like, I'm not suggesting that, you know, all woes from week one are cleaned up here and that Northwestern has answered the call and is back to good, right? Like, like we got to see it and we're going to get a chance to see it against Duke and a really good running back. But we gotta we got to see it to believe it. But this was the step in the right direction and honestly the type of game I expected to see from Northwestern much of this year. You know, I talked a lot in our in our previews about how, you know, last year's team, 93rd in S&P Plus uh, when it was all said and done for the year. Like, that ain't great. We don't need 
Hunter Johnson to be Peyton Manning. We don't need the offense to be gangbusters. I'd like them to be better. I'd like Johnson. I'd like Johnson to make better reads. I think he did a better job, like running the ball out of the out of the read option this this game. Um, but he certainly struggled. He didn't look super comfortable, and we continue to have you know missed snaps and bad exchanges and. There's like these little technical issues in the offense that are that are that are, you know, holding them back. I think to your point, John, and I think at the same time, like if the defense is good, like we can all breathe a sigh of relief and feel feel pretty awesome about the trajectory we're on because it's the one we expected. I mean, the the, the biggest thing is like, the, like you said, we expected to win this game. Did we blow them out of the water? No, we did not. Um, did we need to blow them out of the water? I don't think we did. We, we, we didn't blow them out, but was there? There wasn't even the iota of it was a chance of losing. I, it was never I, in doubt. The game I was never to, in doubt. Yeah, I went to the Cincinnati Murray State game on, on Saturday afternoon um, because it was here. I wanted to take my my son to a game, and it, it was an easy one to get to, right? And at halftime, that game was tied seven to seven. And it was only tied seven to seven because Cincinnati had picked off Murray State in the end zone once, and had recovered a fumble on Murray State's two yard line. So, so Cincinnati's seven points were scored off of a two yard drive, and really they probably should have been down fourteen nothing or or at least fourteen seven at that point in the game. And I just I I share that because, I, and and. Duke, who we're going to play next, had the same feeling at halftime against North Carolina A&T. Like, Northwestern was never threatened in this contest. Right. And I think factoring into that, just to to get kind of granular on this a little bit, and we're not going to spend too much time on this game because we want to get to Jay. A couple things, and again, because obviously we were so granular with Michigan State last week, and, you know, we kind of want to build on that, and we want to understand, we want to help you guys understand from a defensive perspective, two things I want to zero in on. Um, one is it's pretty clear now, all things being equal, right? Because you can't run the same defense against every package, etc. But all things being equal, it's pretty clear what the best defensive set is, um, what the best personnel is, and what the best formation within that set is. And I'll explain. The, the set that puts the best Northwestern defense on the field right now is a base 4-3. And it's a base force three um, with, at this point, you want Bryce Gallagher and you want A.J. Hampton out there. Um, and credit to those guys. Those guys, you know, there has been something of a competition for CB2 and for middle linebacker. And it's pretty clear through two games that those two guys are playing at a level, you know, where they deserve to be that guy. And then you have, um, so you have those two guys out there. It's base four three. And then the other part of it is, Chris Bergen is not flexed out. And this matters because we've gotten so used to this for years now, Chris Bergen being flexed out. And last week we talked about the problems that that creates when you've got two very inexperienced linebackers and you're able to take the third incredibly experienced, incredibly talented linebacker and flex him out away from the play. Even as a weak side linebacker, Bergen covers so much ground, which is why he's been our leading tackler two games in a row, I believe. Um, side to side, that putting him in the middle of the field greatly increases the amount of ground he can cover to either side. To do that, you have to stress a different player. But that player happens to have his name on the side of the stadium. And that player is Brandon Joseph. The way you do it is, you take, for example, if it's a, if it's 
the a classic look, the classic look we run, right? Where it's like one tight end, three wide receivers. You put Joseph on the guy you'd be flexing Bergen out to, and you put him in deep man. What do you have to do that? Well, you have to go single safety high with Bryce Jackson, who was much better this week than he was in week one. That also bears mentioning, right? So it's a little bit more of a risk against the pass. Um, the thing is, you can put Joseph as deep off the line as you want on the guy he's covering, and he will get upfield to that guy. And this is just a way of saying, and again, it's like, does that mean we can run this on every play? No, it doesn't. Does it mean it's riskier going single safety high? Um, yes, it does. Are, has part of the reason A.J. Hampton hasn't just been full-time CB1 going into the season because of that one long bomb he was burned by in the Citrus Bowl? Yes, it is. Are you increasing the likelihood of a play like that happening if you go single safety high? Yes, you are. I understand all of these things. It's just that is that set with that group on the most amount of plays is just the largest success, the largest opportunity for success and the most leveraging of the best guys. Here's another thing that I wanted to point out within that. We've been drumming in, right, last week to talk about some of these issues were really localized, right? And again, not calling guys out by name last week. Again, Bryce Jackson is an example of a guy had a really rough week one and got a lot better in week two. And Coco Azima being on injured on the injury list, right? Bryce played the full game. Those reps obviously helped him a ton, just like reps obviously helped Bryce Gallagher a ton. Guys get better especially in this situation. With that said, I want to rewind to what I was talking about. The idea of keeping Bergen inside. Well, we ran that several times in, I believe, the second quarter. And Indiana State saw it immediately, and they immediately attacked it. They immediately were like, there are two wide receivers out to the right, and there's only one guy remotely near either of them. And they ran the same play twice with slightly different wrinkles. They ran a wide receiver screen. Do you remember the first time Joseph almost picked it off? He overran it. <laughs> he was he was 10 yards away at the start. That's his Yoda-like like ability to figure these things out. But the second time is the one I really want to drill down on. And this says so much to me about where this defense is in totality. The second time they ran it was on a second and four. And... I watched this play so many times because, again, so much is baked into this particular play. There was a second and four where Indiana State saw it again, and they ran a wide receiver screen. Now, the first one, they ran play action with it, and all that did was give Joseph more time to get up to where the ball was. This time, they just hiked it and chucked it out there. And you had the wide receiver wasn't catching it, blocked on Cameron, uh, Cameron Mitchell, and Joseph had to come upfield. It did not matter. Joseph was there in a millisecond. And then, using his amazing instincts, he immediately put his body square and put his himself into the blocker and forgot for a split second that Cameron Joseph, I mean, Cameron Mitchell was already out in that space ready to make the play. And because of that, uh, Brandon Joseph overran the play by like a half a yard and the back had just enough time to get upfield and get four yards before Bergen, flying all the way out from the middle of the field, came in and laid him out. And in the aftermath of that play, Cameron Mitchell immediately pointed a finger at Brandon Joseph and was like, you effed up. 
And you can see how pissed those guys are in that moment that they gave up four yards because those three guys piss excellence. <laughs> and the, the, av- the expectation for those three guys is zero yards all the time. If you've been watching both games, you know, it's clear Cameron Mitchell's one of the better cornerbacks in the Big Ten. We suspected it in the Citrus Bowl. It's clear. B. Joe is B. Joe. Bergen is Bergen. There's a wing of our defense that performs at this extremely high level. And then there's another wing of guys who are really figuring things out. And it's like Pete McIntyre, you look at this guy and he's like, he's an experienced player. He's a player who's instincts get better week to week he's not fleet of foot he needs to have the right reaction the first time and a lot of times the d is just stressing him because any of those times bergen is flared out right it's it's him and a guy who has like no reps right like over like especially if it's gallagher right like in from a career perspective like a very green player or so often right it's that nickel look And in that nickel look, like, facts are facts. We run nickel. Rod Hurd is the nickelback. You're putting, almost every time in that play, it's Rod Hurd and Pete McIntyre side by side, right? Facts are facts. It's not shade on either of these guys. That's where the defense is going to go. That's what they're going to attack. Why wouldn't they attack that? It's two green guys who've had up up and down first weeks. And it's like, so it's like, I can see where that's where they're going to go. So it's all a long way of saying these issues like the defenses we're going to play are going to be identifying these specific areas. You and they're going to say defenses when you mean offenses. Just for Offenses, writing. sorry. Yeah, offenses, right. Yes, these opposing offenses that we're going to be playing are going to be looking at these areas, right? And they're going to be attacking those areas, right? They don't want to go at the All-American and the great cornerback and the senior linebacker who can fly all over the place. They want to work around that. And it's it takes the continued improvement, which we are seeing week one to week two, you know, of a Bryce showing out, of a McIntyre getting better, of a Bryce Jackson continuing to improve to plug those gaps. And as those gaps start to get plugged, this defense is going to shore up. We started seeing it against Indiana, Indiana State, but it will continue to happen going forward. And I think that's the positive people should be focusing on. Um, I, I do want to get to Jay, but real quick before we do that, um, Bryce Kurtz. If Hopefully that injury is not severe because uh, it definitely seemed when he went out, our, our offensive production really kind of tailed off. On the flip side, well, Brick, just just Brandon Joseph there. on special teams. Well, real quick on Kurtz, like he's clearly been Hunter's security blanket for the first, you know, three of the first four halves of the year, and in the fourth half, he wasn't he wasn't there. Um, <laughs> makes sense. The obvious connection being that they played together in high school for for a season or two. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, I like not having Kurtz is is you know certainly hurts. Um, obviously other guys are going to get reps in, in uh, practice this week. And you hope that, that Hunter feels a little bit more comfortable. I'm, I'm quite confident that was a factor right in, uh, in, in, in Hunter's second half against Indiana state. But, um, 
you know, the other thing is like we, we got to figure out some ways to get uh, to get Robinson the ball a little bit more often. I feel like we're under underutilizing his skill set, and then you know we haven't had the the guys that you would you know potentially bolster his skill set with. JJ Jefferson's been on the inactive list for two weeks. Uh, Holman was on the inactive list this past week. I don't know about week one, um, but we'll uh, we'll see. I, like I you know I think this next week I expect you know, run heavy from Northwestern, but um, we're going to need to throw the ball as well to beat Duke. We're not, we're not going to be able to be one-dimensional and win this game. Real quick, I, uh, I, I, I do want to get to Jay, but can we talk about the inactive list for just a second? Yeah, or, 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 or lack thereof. Or lack thereof, right? yeah, John. Right, yeah, so one big thing we, we wanted to point out, right? Like, we don't want to dwell on it because we know nothing about nothing. We do just want to point out that there was the inactive list that was um, released, and then in the game, it became really clear early on that Sam Duke Miller was not in the game, um, was not on the inactive list either. And I mean, we're not going to say he wasn't on the field. We don't know that for sure. We looked really hard to find him throughout the game and couldn't couldn't find him. So we have no information. We can't tell you what's going on there, um, other than that it's worrisome. Um, and you know we we hope it's it's nothing serious, and we hope that it works itself out because obviously we love him and we want him back out on the field. Um, and so that's that's the extent. That's that's the only thing. But we just wanted to to let you guys know about it. Fitz was not asked about it, I believe, in the post game presser. I'm sure he wouldn't have said nothing about it, even if he was asked. But um, that's that's the extent of it. Well, to help us break down kind of what this means to the Northwestern community as a whole. I mean, we've been talking about. Um, you know, these slow starts and kind of the mindset of a Northwestern fan, who could be better than Jay Sharman uh, with like the posts, uh, jumping back on with us tonight. Jay, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, we definitely value your perspective on kind of what, what, what is the mindset of a Northwestern fan? I mean, you know, we, we beat Indiana state very handily and yet there's uh, people, it's like doom and gloom still. Yeah. Well, first off, thank you guys. I want to thank you for, uh, it's been a while since I've been on air with you and thank you for getting me through the, uh, from January to here. It's been, I can't tell you how important it's been for me, but yeah, I mean, it was interesting, like every, to your point, whether anecdotally, um, and just passing, talking to people or even on Twitter, right. I don't know. It's like the, the gloom and doom. Like I had a couple of people being like, this is borderline embarrassing. And I'm just like, really? There were a lot of people that said that to us too, and I don't, I don't right? understand. Right, I'm just it. We, like, we were this two game really it, dumb it, penalties it, away from a 24 to nothing shutout, and against an FCS team, it's like, okay, do we need to go down the road and look at Florida State and Washington? Like, we can play this game, but it's like, literally, the last time we played an FCS team, we lost seven to nine. That was embarrassing. Like, full stop. Yeah, it's just. I don't know, you know, maybe, uh, you know, there's a couple of theories, right? Fitz, um, I think to our credit, it's like we spent all season, all off season. I think you guys did. And I just saying like, this team's going to be good. Like we're top 10 last year. Stop. Like, and, and there was such, you know, I think part of it is just a hangover effect. The Michigan state game, I think took so much is such a big stage. And so many people had, you know, positive expectations, maybe not unworldly for Northwestern, but definitely did not expect to see that. And, you know, we've talked about it incessantly, even though it's the year 2021, even though you look at Fitz's record over 16 years, even though you look at, you know, two of the last three seasons, Big Ten West champs, 
we're like the one school that has like this hangover laundry effect that uh, I think Gary Barnett probably had the best line after Northwestern lost to Miami of Ohio the week after upsetting Notre Dame. And and it was the same, you know, it was just like this, oh, oh my God, it's the same old Northwestern. We're never going to win another game. And he, he said, the Northwestern bandwagon is made of Teflon, right? Just people right. slide right off of that thing. Right. Teflon uh, and, and it drives at an angle. <laughs> and, and what's crazy is like that happened – 26 years ago, right? 1995. Yeah. That's right. a long, long time ago. And everyone who's playing on this team right now was not alive when Northwestern went to the Rose Bowl. I mean, Northwestern has been above average, I would say, you know, mm-hmm. consistently above average to good with a couple hiccups here and there. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not going to forget 2019. That was, that was terrible. But like, we wear that 2019 season so much more than we were 2018 and 2020. Agreed. I mean, I, I, I think the great one of the great um, teams to compare is Indiana. Somehow, despite having a miserable overall record year in and year out, right? Compared to take, take Fitz's tenure and compare it to Indiana's, and it's laughably different, right? In favor of Northwestern, and yet they have a good year last year. In COVID, and it's like all of a sudden they're coming in as this, and I get it. Penix is back, and Trey Fold. Like, yes, they had some sexy school players coming back, but it's like they don't have that hangover effect. It's it's just amazing, and and we're you know clearly we all have a, a chip on our shoulder about it, right? But I mean, look at the end of the day, um, you guys talked about it last week. It's where my head's at. This you go five and eleven, and now in September since twenty fifteen, and it warrants criticism, right? I mean, I think that is something, and it's like the beginning of the year, hope springs eternal, and, you know, I mean, look, we all know at the end of the year if Northwestern were to go 9-3 and three and Michigan State continues to look like they look, it's like, you know, people aren't going to remember the 24 to sit. They're not going to remember the second-half struggles against Indiana State, right? I mean, this is – I think the other thing here is if you, if you, if you zoom out and look at Fitz, he – with the exception of 2019, he's really earned fans' patience, right? 31 and 13, right? He's 5 and 11 in September, but 31 and 13 in other months during that same span, right? With much harder comp. That 31 and 13, the strength of schedule it's all, it's is like conference. three. It's all conference games, right? And so he's, you know, the, there's a bunch of theories on this. We could talk about it, but I, I think with the exception of one year, 2019, he and his staff have really shown that they get better each and every year and they get, they peak. It's a little bit like Tom is on basketball who peaks in March. Like he gets these teams to peak in November. And so it's just, it's a fascinating dynamic to your point. I think we're, it's so weird because in a larger sense. And so we found ourselves in an interesting place after the Michigan state game this year where, and this is us running this pod where we had made these really, you know, fairly rosy predictions relative to what the season was going to be. And we'd even gone back and forth with you on some of them and, you know, felt so bad, you know, because you were saying, you know, oh, you're, you guys are making me believe. And yet, and then, and then, you know, it's funny, we ended up in a situation where after the game, in addition to us sorting through and being like, all right, we have this desperate need now to know what happened, right? Like we want to unpack this and figure it all out and everything. But kind of 
more than any other season, and this is despite kind of the slow starts that Northwestern has had in years past, this year was kind of a, a critical mass for so many listeners, not so much in person, but online being like, whoa, like nine and three, 10 and two, how's that looking now? You know, and we're getting a lot of that, but it, it led me personally to kind of step back and, and kind of have a little bit of, of reflection and be like, okay, so every, you know, for all those people who are coming to us being like, you guys were too rosy and this is what happens when like you're a homer and factoring it into the research and everything and kind of looking in the mirror and being like, is there an extent to which we do that? And I, I kind of, you know, was thinking about it a lot. And the short answer is like, no, I mean, I think we dig as deep as we can, but I guess I kind of thought about the way that I deal with situations that are complete unknowns relative to Northwestern. For example, a college Jones slash Bryce Gallagher, right? Where those guys have had little to no reps at all. I I probably would cop to the fact that I am going to go glass half full on those guys. And part of that's, you know, certainly due to the culture and the defensive culture and everything that's built into the team. That's probably where most of it comes from. But I can't lie and say there's not a certain amount that's not reactionary against everything we perceive over the past 20 years of being Northwestern fans. And, you know, it's like if the Northwestern bandwagon is Teflon, like the way the outside world looks at Northwestern is like beyond Teflon, right? Like can't wait to jump off at all times. And there's probably an extent to which, you know, we're looking to overcorrect that. But it all kind of goes to, to your larger point about like, if you're a Northwestern fan, it's impossible to divorce yourself from these certain overarching things, right? Like some of which are explainable, some of which are not explainable. And like this season, we find ourselves sort of caught between um, situations and issues that we feel like we can target and point to you and be like, it's not like Northwestern needs to get better. I can go like, X, Y, and Z. These are the specific things the specific guys need to fix on specific plays. And at the same time, this, for example, September thing you're talking about is hanging over our heads that none of us have a good explanation for, but it is there and it's baked into all of the feelings that we have, right? And it's like, you know, we've sort of talked to you before, but it's like everyone's grasping at straws trying to figure out, you know, how can you look at something that, and have such localized solutions and at the same time be trying to figure out, okay, but why does this keep repeating year after year after year? Um, and everyone's kind of like best, you know, putting their best foot forward, doing their best to make sense of something that, you know, maybe can't be made sense of. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating because if you get to know Fitz, like I think one of probably the and, and it, it's changed over time, right? And you guys know this, but you know the the whole stats are for losers, and like this public persona, the way he talks, there was this element of Fitz likes to project kind of the old school coach, right? Throw out the behind iPhones. the scenes, right? You guys know this. Behind the scenes, it's like he's got an analytics guy. Like they are, they are at, if not at the forefront, right? They're they're in the upper tier of analytics and using everything that they can to give them an advantage, right? Like it, there is nothing left to chance, like methodical preparation on these things. And so, you know, I thought it was interesting, you know, Fitz, I think after the Machine State game, he's like, guys, look, right? Like if I knew what was going on with the September thing, it'd be fixed by now. And so it, like most things that are relatively difficult to explain, 
I'm guessing it's complex and a lot of little things as opposed to a there's like no smoking gun. Right. It's like it's not like the guys didn't prepare well, you know, um, or or give it the heart. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, you guys you start you do what I do. Right. You look at the foundation, you look at stuff behind the scenes. And, and I mean, I, I think Fitz has changed since that locker room down in Champaign at 2019. I really do like where he was like that. Never again. Mantra was probably one of the most authentic things I've ever seen from him where he was like. Never again, guys. Three. Thank you, seniors. You know, on your way out the door. But like, this is unacceptable. And he's just, you know, I think had a new chip on his shoulder. But he's got to be sitting there at night. You know, I've talked to, you know, I, talk, I reached out to Steve Stir this week, and you guys know I, I do these emails every week, and guys write back, and I asked him. I asked. I said, Steve, what do you make of this? Right. I know it's been 25 years since you played, but he's good friends, right? He communicates and texts with Fitz. It's like what do you think of this? And he, and he just threw out his own theory. He's like, we all talk about it. We don't know what it is. He goes, my personal theory is Northwestern's on trimesters. And he's like, it sounds counterintuitive because you'd think you'd be uber focused because you don't have class. He's like, I'll tell you, it's just a weird vibe being a football player for three game weeks before students are on campus. No students around. You don't have the structure of class. There's not a routine. It was it's just it's just a rhythm thing. He goes, I can't really explain. He goes, I know we used to talk when they lost to Wake Forest in 96. He's like, that was part of it. Let's just, you know, that that's Steve Schneer. I'm, I haven't talked to person. I haven't talked to, you know, Joe Gaziano or guys recently who've gone through this, but I'm kind of on a mission to find out. Cause I, I'm just fascinated by it for obvious reasons. Yeah. There's been talk in the past or I, I remember coming off a year where there were a lot of injuries. Right. And then, the, the the talk the next season when Northwestern looked slow out of the gates was oh well they didn't they didn't do any hitting in in camp you know they 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 tried to step back the physicality to make sure that they didn't get too thin or get too injured and and there's a there's always you know there's always kind of a theory du jour that the the one you just shared Jay resonates the most with me I think the 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 one thing I want to point out and I guess this is this is me just like empathizing with the fan base a little bit i think part of what has us all so unmoored um this particular season is and and, and john this was a, a critical theme in all of your you know previews of, of northwestern and the rest of the big 10 and has been for a couple of years now but northwestern's identity has been rock solid defense and scrappy offense for basic basically a decade um and what we saw week one was the opposite of that. Now, last week against Indiana State, as we've talked about, was, you know, kind of more of what we would normally see. And I just I, I just want to give a little bit of leeway to to the fan base because that, you know, that that's what was so shocking for me coming to that Michigan State game. We've never seen the D underperform like that in that kind of space before. And then when you, you know you start to amplify that with, oh, new offensive or new defensive coordinator and, oh, we lost Greg Newsom and yada, 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 right? You kind of talk yourself into a into a panic. But um, I think it's just it, – it's it's worth just acknowledging that and then also saying, you know, last week felt a bit more comfortable and a bit like more what we're used to. Not that we like this September thing, but we're on, I would think, a little bit more solid footing now going forward. Well, yeah, I mean, I think – Really good points, Eric. And, and the other part of this is, right, societally, it's 2021, and it seems like each passing year, social media and the what have you done for me lately, like that that factor, like it, it's people just forget, you know? It's like they're so in the moment and people extrapolate. It's like, 
look, we have a sample set of two games against, you know, Michigan State with their, you know, ridiculous net amount of transfers that they had. And, you know, I, I was joking with you guys off it. I was really scared of that game because of the unknowns and how much talent I saw on, you know, stitched together. But, um, you know, I think, look, a week ago, it's like they ran at will on us, right? Kenneth Walker III ran all over us. Uh, all the points you made, defense was a, just a train wreck. Very un, one of the more unfits-like teams you'll you'll see performance-wise, right? And meanwhile, the big question mark, Hunter Johnson looked very good, right? Not, you know, there are some definitely rooms for improvement, but we, you guys said it, right? That stat line of 280, you know, 69% completion percentage, three tutties, no picks. It's like we'll take that all day, every day. You know, I mean, that's all Big Ten caliber stats. FCS team, right? Nine for 16, you know, what, 60-something yards? I mean, it was it was like bizarre. It was the inverse, right? Here comes the Rush D. You know, they look night and day better, and I know it's a drop-off in competition, and you guys have already talked about these things, but it's like it was – and then, you know, the offense, in particular passing and, and pass protection in the O-line, it's like what the heck? So you have a two-game – Sample set, and I think people just extrapolate. I'm, and I'm of the okay. Let's see against Duke, and let's see against Ohio, because then you have Nebraska and Rucker. I mean, this schedule could not set up, and I think that's probably the frustrating part about Michigan State. We could not have designed a better schedule, right? Especially now looking at Duke mm-hmm. and Ohio, who are both, you know, struggling. Um, you look at that, and I'm like. I, I have to do it too because it's hard not to get influenced when you're getting DM'd and tagged on Twitter and you know Chicken Little Sky is falling and blah 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 and we suck and this and that and how can this be, you know? And I'm just kind of like talk to me after week six, you know? And I'm really trying to be more disciplined about jumping to conclusions because maybe I sound like I'm pandering here, but it's like. Fitz has deserved it, right? I mean, think about the way we felt after that Akron game. Whew. Right? right? Right. Think about that one in three stretch. One in three. We lost one Big Ten game that year. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's like it's like you look at this, you look at that team in November, it's the same personnel. It's not like we had like wholesale changes. And you you put those in, in Akron was a freak, right? Like to pick sixes, deflection, like there's a whole bunch. But, you know, you look at those first couple games and then you put the tape on and look at those November games and it's different teams. And and that's probably to me is the most remarkable thing, which, you know, and I know you guys have talked about this. The other pervasive theory is that our coaches are just really, really good at in-season development, right? Scheme, personnel, player improvement, et cetera. There's, there's a lot to be said for that. But, uh, you know, I mean, I think Northwestern fans, you know, it, it's – you guys know this. I was sitting there. I was, I was pissed off. Right. I'm sitting there just aluminum shining everywhere. It's like no one's at the game. It's like I get it. You know, you lose, but where's the support? Like I don't know the Teflon thing. It's there was that that crowd on Saturday was really really disappointing. And it's hard not to. I can't prove it. You guys can't prove it. But it's hard not to kind of pin a bunch of that on kind of the. We got trounced by Michigan State. It's an 11 a.m. game, which are not easy for a lot of fans to get to, you know. And then, you know, it's like just makes it easy for the Northwestern fan base to say, yeah, I'm going to just sit this one out. And that that's really frustrating. 
that's really frustrating for me as a fan because you're like, when are we going to get to that next hurdle? When are we going to get to the home field advantage? When are we going to get to the, you know, and, and I get it. Um, you know, people want a winner, you know, sky's falling in Ohio state. God forbid they lost a game. Holy smokes. Right. <laughs> and, and, and what's, what's wild to me is like, yes, we lost to Michigan state. Guess what? We lost to Michigan state last year too. We didn't lose another right. regular season game at all last year. And you know, we're, we're only two weeks in. So, Okay, we, we lose to Michigan State, and the the next five games should be relatively easy. We're not going to get, like, the national risk. Like, people aren't going to forget about the Michigan State game because of a big win by us until middle of October at the earliest. Because, you know, yeah, we should beat Indiana State. Yeah, we should beat Duke. Yeah, we should beat Ohio you know, Rutgers, Nebraska, these are games that we should be winning. And, you know, we're, it's like that mindset of, yeah, you lost that first game. Even if we're like three or four weeks down and we are four and one, people are still going to say, well, you lost that, you lost that one game. It's like time out. Let, you know, this is a, a you know, you got to look at the entire, the whole picture. You're not seeing the forest from the trees. Well, I think the question too is is what what, what matters, right? What what matters here? And and all of our goals, and we've said this many times on this podcast over the years, right? Because we've faced the same situation in September yeah, many exactly. times over the years. All of our goals are still in front of us. One loss in the Big Ten does not submarine the chance to to go to Indy. I, you know, obviously Iowa looks um, pretty freaking awesome right now, and. Uh, you know, the, the, the odds are not in our favor, but like all of our goals are still in front of us. And I think that's what what's important, right? Like like an undefeated season and going to the playoff is just and, and maybe I'm being too, um, I don't know, too pragmatic here, but it's just not in the Northwestern card deck yet. Like I would love for us to be there. It's just not part of the deck yet. And that's OK. And we don't have to be all or nothing. We can, we can have a, a stumble like we did against Michigan state and knuckle down and commit to learning and getting better and, and do that. And I think we saw, you know, they didn't answer all the questions this past Saturday, but we saw at least a step in the right direction. Um, and, you know, hopefully we'll see another step this coming weekend. Although I won't lie personally, I'm kind of terrified. Oh, I'm terrified. I've got, I've got Tar Heel, a Tar Heel disease since 1996. Ever since we lost to that Wake Forest game after the Rose Bowl year, I've, I've, <laughs> you know. But by the way, I'm so distraught. So fun fact, I mean, this century in Durham, Northwestern's five and one, with our only loss being our last trip there. I, I, I would have thought we were like three and three. That's, that's crazy. crazy. Wow. We're yeah. five and one in Durham. Don't ask about Ryan Field. Just be happy this game's not a Ryan Field. <laughs> I've been describing it to my to my neighbors and my in-laws as a house of horrors for us, and apparently it's not. Well, it's it's so funny because we've been I've been digging into some of the different kind of things with Duke, and there's so many weird things. Like in the past five years, Duke has only beaten five different universities in Durham. We are one of those universities. But then, like, but there's all these weird... But North Carolina is one of those universities. Miami is one of those universities. It's super, it's super weird. And then, like, we've lost, you know, I think, what, like, our last two times we played Duke, we lost. 
both of those Northwestern teams were sweet-ass Northwestern teams that won 19 combined games and a West title. And both of those Duke teams were actually pretty good teams. Um, I think one of them won eight games, and one of them won, I think, seven. But if I'm correct, because you would know better, but I feel like Daniel Jones got hurt that year, I think, and it kind of submarined them. Um, and that they, but I mean, both of those teams were actually pretty good. But it's it's very weird. But it's it is, you know, we were kind of talking before the pod and, and to this larger theme of all the just the stuff that is baked into being a Northwestern fan and all of the overarching stuff, the decades of stuff that you can't really ignore whether you can explain it or not. Um, Duke is just baked into that lore. Scuzz and I, first home game freshman year was a beatdown against Duke. Yeah, um, talk about September that, woes. Yeah, talk about September woes. Yeah. We showed up expecting um that vaunted class the vaunted freshman class that sub you know that two years later won a big 10 title but it was so big and you know we were still just you know so you know those two massive seasons were so fresh in the mirror raising Um, my glass to gavin hoffman right now yeah gavin gavin hoffman yeah and at the time future university of pennsylvania quarterback gavin hoffman and and that was our rude awakening, right? And then it was kind of two rough years starting at that point. But it's like over the years, I mean, we all think about that game that was in like a monsoon that we all watched on like digital only <laughs> in Durham that one year. Just that, just just so, so disastrous. And then, right, and then the recent history where it's like good Northwestern teams have lost to Duke. And yeah, it's just, it's Duke plays a big part of that. And when you're heading to Durham, um, it's hard to divorce yourself from all of that history. Yeah. I mean, I, I listen to you guys religiously and I, the only time I cringe is when I hear John go off on Nebraska. (laughs) (laughs) Cause I'm like, dude, don't do this. I I will bet you right now it's a one possession game. I don't care what their record is. I don't care how bad they're, but look, look, Jay, Jay, Nebraska's, it, Nebraska's a $20 million buyout in the way of stopping being Nebraska right now. So it's like, you know, Warren Buffett wants to pony up that money. Otherwise, I, I can't help you. <laughs> well, listen, I think I think Sam said something. I want to I go back to something that Sam said that I think is really important. Because my litmus test for um, casual football fan, right, which I then equate to kind of casual sports journalist. I don't want to, you know, paint too broad a brush. You guys watch more college football on a Saturday and analyze it deeper than the typical college football sports journalist. True. I know them. I know these people. Like, there's a lot of box score reading. There's a lot of, like, you guys actually watch the games. And so that's why things like Michigan State, when it's a signature game to open the season, and, and I can tell you, it's like it happens in bowl games. And it happens in like the Purdue game that, that Thursday night opener in 2018 on ESPN. When I start getting texts in the middle of the game from people who don't text me, who are kind of like casual friends, it's like I use it as my litmus, my anecdotal, unscientific litmus test of like, wow, like a lot of people watching this. Like in the Ohio State halftime of the last year's Big Ten championship, I was getting texts from like, I don't even know they had my number. I've talked to you since junior <laughs> high, right? I was, like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, wow, this is a big deal, right? And so, and I think that's one of the problems, right? Like, 
you can see it now. We did it, uh, was it 2015 when we started 5-0 and and we went to the big house and the game was over on the opening kickoff, right? Like yeah. we became ranked, ESPN featured game. It's like when we get those moments, like the Michigan State opener, when we get the, um, you know, these primetime, that's why the Wisconsin game last year was such a big deal for us, yes. right? Like, right. It's, how, do we play, how do we moments, play under the spotlight? Yeah, and it's just, you know, perception changing. Right. Like there are people who will not watch a Michigan State game the rest of the year. And if they're like eight and four at the end of the year, they're going to be thinking, oh, they were good. That Kenneth Walker, the third, like who cares what he did? Like that first game sticks in people's memories. And so, you know, I think those things for us were probably a little too sensitive to it. But well, I mean, just it, just it to, matters. The, like that first game, you know, what people think of you just ask Graham Mertz. Right. <laughs> I mean, he yep. he has a year plus of, oh my God, this guy's amazing because he went 21 of 22 against Illinois. Yep. And hadn't done anything really since to really show that he's that great. But like, it's that first game. It's that under the spotlight, you know, Mertz shredded Illinois on a national, in a national stage. You know, Kenneth Walker shredded us on a national stage. And when is the next time that we're going to get the national stage all to ourselves with like, all eyes on us. Well, I'll tell you one that I'm getting really excited about. November 6th. I mean, I'm starting. I never, you yeah. know, I'm sitting there thinking I might actually have to root for Iowa to run the table and be number three <laughs> in the country at that time. But uh, I don't know if you guys have talked about this, you know, on this podcast yet because I haven't heard it. But I'm watching Iowa and I'm like, this is Northwestern. Dude, they're still in our playbook. They, I looked it up. They're 14th in the Big Ten in offense, right? And in first in defense. And uh, they you know, scored 21 defensive points, so that definitely helps. They, it's our playbook, man. I was like, wait a minute, that's a, well, so. Well, they don't yeah. scare me this year. I mean, I, l- listen, I respect the hell out of that. I mean, they are so dialed in. But Petrus and the offense. I mean, it's not like they're moving the ball up and down the field. I mean. That's a plus two takeaway game in the Northwestern stealing one from like, again, we're so far behind where they are right now in terms of having. I I just want to, I just want to point out on the backs of that, right. You are talking about arguably, right. Cause you're talking about like, yeah, I will look so awesome. And yet the offensive warts, right. You are talking about the one team and maybe you could add Penn state to this group that the quote unquote casual fan is not looking at in the Big Ten and being like, that team's got warts. And they ain't wrong, right? I mean, and that's that's one of those step-back things. And, like, step back and look at the rest of the conference. Ain't no one not dealing with problems right now. And there are some teams like Minnesota who are in, like, a much worse pickle right now. And it's one of those things, and it's like you look at all these things. That it's just funny because – there's that again, there's that malaise. And it's like, I get it. We get it. We get all the stuff that's baked into all this. But, you know, people looking at our schedule and being like, boy, even with this schedule, you know, it's like it's like, you know, thanks to this schedule, this team, Northwestern team could win seven and eight games and they're not even that good. And it's like, man, you're working hard to find a negative way to spin. this. Yeah. It's no, like- <laughs> I, I, I agree. I mean, look, last year is an anomaly. Right. We we won the Big Ten West, obviously, and there was so many different things going on with covid. There's an element of kind of throw it out in terms of how wild it was. But 
in a quote unquote normal season with fans in a 12 game schedule. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I don't even have to ask you guys. I know you feel this way. It's like, I, I feel they're legitimately every, even though I was, you know, getting all the love right now, it is so wide open. Wisconsin, you look at Wisconsin and their offense is not the Wisconsin. Like, again, just like us, talk to me in three weeks, five weeks, you know, things change, injuries happen. We've already seen it, but I'm sitting here being like, this is going to be awesome. And I, I like, literally have recalibrated. I'm like, okay, let's go beat Duke. I don't care if it's by one point or 40 points. I really don't. And guess what? It's on the ACC network, which means no one's going to watch it, right? It's like, Best line I heard all week was Pat Forty, who uh, tweeted, you know, this is some really good marketing by Notre Dame to get people to watch Peacock, right? To get all the yeah. Notre Dame haters, right? <laughs> like, this is brilliant. What a bold move, right? It's like, we win 44 nothing. No one's going to care. No one is going to have seen it because it was on the ACC network, right? It does. The game doesn't matter. It's like, get the win, move on. Ohio, get the win, move on. Nebraska, get the win, move on. You know, I mean, we're going to get our chances, right? Nebraska, Rutgers, and then Michigan. And, and again, Rutgers scares the crap out of me. I'm going to say it right here, right now. Shiano is year two. That team, they look like a Northwestern team. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting myself in the head being like, don't overlook Rutgers. Rutgers is Northwestern. Everyone, are, you know, they're going to be feisty. Anyway, 100% agree being, with you on that, I, by the way. I'm excited about I'm, like, I'm just gonna let. Season. I'm just going to let you two guys talk. I'm just, <laughs> I, I'm just, if you were the, if you were a person unfortunate enough to watch that Rutgers Syracuse game, that was a crime against football by both teams and somehow Rutgers won it. But I get what you're saying. I get the point. And how many of those have we had? <laughs> yeah, how many crimes have we won? Many. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, it's, it's, it's funny though. Like, I guess, you know, with all that said, right. And it's like, to the to the idea of Northwestern's had these problems in the spotlight last year, Michigan State, this year, Michigan State. Well, to your point, starting most certainly with this week, we ain't going to be in the spotlight for a while. And we've nope. got a chance to do that work in the dark that Northwestern tends to do so well um, and start building some forward momentum here. I think Duke is an interesting team because, again, to juxtapose with the Duke teams, the last two Duke teams that beat Northwestern. And those were good Northwestern teams that, again, both of those games happened in this, you know, the September swoon that we've been talking about that none, no one has a perfect explanation for, right? Um, but both of those teams, at least on paper, appear to be much better than this current Duke team. I mean, you know, this team, this Duke team, the last time they beat a Power 5 team at home, you have to go back to the end of the 2019 season. And and that was, I think, Miami and the you know, since then, they've been kind of a mess. They're a disaster on defense. They have massive, massive issues. They had massive issues last year. I mean, this was the and you'll probably never get to say this again. 15th best defense in the ACC last year. Mm -hmm. Um, They certainly didn't look any better against Charlotte and against A&T, you know, what what can you really learn from that one way or another? The one thing, and by I the was, way, can I jump in there, John? I actually yeah. now I watched the extended highlights just to so I could speak to it educatedly here. Uh, they were a train wreck on defense in that game. Like they, their, you know, passing game was fantastic. They looked really good, right? Whatever, take it for what it is. But NCAA, I, I want to say in the first quarter, uh, we'll go back and look. 
It was at least an eight-minute touchdown drive. It might have been 10. It was amazing. It chewed up the entire first quarter. They went like 80 yards. It was like the ultimate dink and dunk. 20, and they, 20 like, plays, 80 yards, field. 12 minutes and eight seconds. Yeah. 12 minutes. All right. It's I mean, it was Lord. It was insane. Yeah. And it's and it and it is. And that's the thing. And it's it's if you watched Indiana State, and it's the funny thing, like, you know, people talking about, well, you know, at different times, you know, the backs didn't have good day. And it's like they average our three backs average five point seven, seven point one, and seven point three yards per carry, and none of them had a carry longer than twenty. That's just big chunks regularly. Well, this Duke team is gonna give that up. Um and that's so that's the good news. The bad news is and I'm going to pivot to Scuzz here. Is you know we've been talking and we're not going to go over the past couple of weeks, but we've been talking about very localized yet very severe issues in our defense that that have to get fixed. Theoretically, Duke has guys or guy positioned to hurt us in those areas. Yeah, I mean Matteo Durant is who you're referring to, and when we previewed Duke, you know we talked about how he was going to be one of the best running backs in the ACC. Um, in you know week one of the season, they played Charlotte. They lost to Charlotte, but he ran for 255 yards, an 8.8 yards per carry clip, three touchdowns, and was second only to Kenneth Walker the third in yards after contact in all of college football. And so this is this is the rare opportunity where Northwestern's defense is getting at an oppor- like the chance to show what they've learned in two weeks, right, from that Michigan State game because they are going to be facing a very similar talent in Durant who is, you know, Cutcliffe, David Cutcliffe, the coach of Duke, is a master at uh, designing offenses, and he will have surely watched the Michigan State tape. He will have surely watched the Indiana State tape. He will know that going to the boundary and testing Northwestern's contain and tackling in the secondary is the way you go at them. And he has the perfect weapon to try it. And But, this, but Scott, and this again, a, against A&T, Durant went 15 carries for 41 yards with a 19-yard long run. Like, that's, that's, that's yeah. you know, I like, he's... I'm 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 going with the he's similar to Walker yeah, and if we, sure. yeah, if right. we can tackle yeah. him like and, AMT, yeah. great because here's the thing is like Gunnar Holmberg their quarterback was a catastrophe against Charlotte it's why they lost the game um well actually no he wasn't that bad he he got sacked three times I was reading that as three picks um he wasn't that bad against against Charlotte it was more on the defensive side against A&T like he was pretty darn good he threw for close to 300 yards 75 percent completion like it, it it seemed like they had a pick your poison type of game and and they just went with the passing attack. But Durant still should scare all of us until proven otherwise. I mean, he's good, Sam. I think you know. Again, I didn't watch the whole game, but what I watched, it was very clear. A you know, A and T was like, you're going to beat us with the pass because we're stuffing the box. And guess what? They torched them with the pass, right? So, um, you know, I, I also thought it was interesting because uh, Duke looked absolutely horrible on the exact type of pass that we have not done, right? Like that in Eric, you talked about on the podcast last week, the, that, that mid, that intermediate, you know, mm-hmm. s- you know, seven to 12 yard zone pass. Like they just were chunking on that, uh, all day on, on Duke. They have a, they have a really, um, Oh, you're saying A&T was doing that against. Duke. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I can't I, imagine. I, I would imagine like, I, you know, It'd be stunned. If you watch that tape, you're like, okay, you know, uh, clearly Duke's going to try to clean that up, but I, I'd be stunned if Jake is not 
really looking at that interview. They they just were lost. I mean, it was like guys, you know, like they looked like we did in the first week against Michigan State. Well, and it is surprising because I think I saw some people talking about the Indiana State game and just like not not enough targets for the tight ends, right? Um, and it just, it, I mean, the whole passing game kind of got shut down in the second half. But it it seems like that would be if you're running a lot of two tight end sets. Um, we've seen Mangieri get you know get some good uh, some good passes in that in that range, kind of at the top end of that range. Frankly, um, you'd love to see you know whether it's Lang or Pew. Um, if Kurtz comes back, that would be pretty huge because I think he can he can play in that intermediate range as well. A guy like Robinson, you feel like is, you know, much more of either straight line speed or um, short crossing right versus trying to like truly go go through the middle and the teeth of the defense. But um, but yeah, I, like I think you're right. That would that would be the place that I think you would you would find the most opportunity to enhance what we've seen from Northwestern's offense thus far. Yeah, and. and- you know, I think the one thing I was talking with, you know, a bunch of the former players after the game, um, it just happened to tailgate with them. And, and we were all kind of collectively in the same thing. And I'm sure you guys saw it. And it's like, and I, I, I'm not here to pick on individual guys, but, you know, Hunter being a quarterback, it's hard not to talk about it. And I, I'm pretty sure he and Fitz would talk about it and Jake would talk about it. But I, I don't think there's a better guy in the Big Ten, including C.J. Stroud, who on a primary route, right that runs the way it's supposed to that hunter johnson isn't better than like oh. the, the the ball that he throw like he's but, way way more accurate than cj Stroud. i was about Let's to just say, say that right here oh no i mean <laughs> he's more accurate than anybody but the problem yeah. is and you guys saw this right the intermediate pass has been there particularly when the line coverage breaks down as soon as he moves his feet like there were three plays where it was like in, in Michigan State there was one. Everyone thought Manjuri was wide open. And it's like his decision making when the pocket breaks down has to improve and guys are getting open and he's just waiting. You know, I don't know if he's afraid, he doesn't trust the coverage. It, you've seen him running out of bounds, keeping the ball, and you know, I mean, that is going to be there. I thought the I thought the O line pass protection was pretty weak this past weekend, considering you know, the talent that was not their best game. They, I thought they were excellent on run blocking, but that, that, that is the, to me, the make or break over the next two weeks is like, how can we get Hunter when he gets in trouble or has to move his feet, you know, finding guys and just well, seeing the field and, and, you know, I, cause I, it, it is a game changer and we've seen it. We've seen him miss guys too, when he's even trying to get there. And, you know, it, it's clear that that's got to be part of it because we've been. You guys have talked about it. I've really enjoyed it when you talked about when was the last time we had a like legit vertical. Fl- I mean, that pass to Malik Washington, oh that misdirection, right? Just yeah, awesome, right? The first week, those passes, awesome. Guys dropping balls that he's putting right there downfield. We haven't. I, I can't tell you the last time we've seen that kind of you know in traffic passing. And then clearly, like a lot of short balls, but. You know, I mean, I think and, that to me is, again, caution Northwestern fans. It's like, OK, so, you know, he went nine to 16 and he missed a bunch of people. And it's like, OK, but against much tougher competition the week before. Good God. You know, one would argue should have been better. Malik, the ball's on his hands on that deep ball. Right. So who knows? It's like, take a deep breath. Right. Let's watch the next two games and 
you, you got to think like the, the playbook was maybe a third as deep as it was against Michigan State. I mean, that was as vanilla as vanilla could get. Yeah, we didn't throw any screen passes, for example. Uh, and right, some of the other stuff. I will say, you know, Jay, you make a good point about <clears throat> the one thing, you know, Fitz made a lot about the three two six, right, that um, Indiana State was running and the lack of tape on that, et cetera. Um, and, you know, Again, we we already went over the you know the the India the Indiana State game, so not going to go too deep. But I mean, you had a play where two linemen were split by a, a middle linebacker, and and some of that stuff is, uh, you know, on in pass pro, and some of that's weird formations. Well, Duke's a bad defense that runs a non traditional formation four two five, and they're going to attack. And it's one of those things where, to your point, right? It's a litmus test. It's a barometer. It's like Mateo Duran on the other side. It's like, well, here you go. Here's a team that is going to put a bunch of defensive backs on the field and try to mix things up and try to attack you in passing situations. And how does the line react to that? How does Hunter react to that? Um, um, these are chances to grow, right? Like at the end of the day, this is not a talent-laden defense. These are opportunities. It's opportunities to face irregular stuff and have to deal with it and find ways to grow and move on. And then like, because the idea is right, like we're, we're expecting wins over the next couple of weeks, but we're also expecting ourselves to improve, to get to a point where we can get to, you know, you look at, for example, where a Bryce Gallagher is right now and where he was during that first game. And you can look and be like, this dude's getting better. Like, and he needs to keep that upward trajectory. And it's like, well, where is that guy? You know, three weeks from now, four weeks from now. So yeah, it's like, there are tons of opportunities here. It's difficult. We have, it's like, again, it's like, as we've been saying, so much history baked into you know, this team that we're playing right now, but at the same time, it's like, there should be a win for us here and there should be real opportunities to grow and improve. I wanted to hit on, um, one thing I wanted to hit on real quick is like from an expectation standpoint. And, uh, Jay, I thought this was pretty funny going to the Indiana state game. You posted a ton of, of stats about, uh, about passing records and receiving records. And then quipped later that you were reverse jinxing our, our run game, um, against Duke, like yes, it's it's another kind of non-traditional set, the four-two-five, like you mentioned, John. But also, just dipping back into the defensive preview you did, John, that is a light defensive line physically, and I think yes. I think this oh, is yeah. another game where we we should expect Northwestern to come out and want to run the ball and prioritize running the ball, not just because you know of some stubborn notion in the coach's head that they have to do that to to set everything else up, but because that's the that's the opportunity that Duke affords. Uh, out of the gates. Right. And not miss little pass pro things and not miss little bits of mechanics and the machinery of plays that keep us in the, that get in the way of our kicking ass. And if we can do that, then, then yeah, we'll, we'll be in good shape. Yeah. I mean, I think to your point, like uh, I think Duke's terrible third down in particular that like against eight, they couldn't get off the field. Right. I mean, a 12 minute drive. I mean, the amount of, th- and, and they, they were, as you can imagine, on a 12-minute drive, there were a lot of downs. And just the third down execution was just awful, you know. Um, but I think one of the things that I really started thinking about, and it was especially when it was like fourth and 23 in the end in the state game, and, and, you know, to your point, you guys talked about it, and don't need to go back. But I really just sat there, and I was like, God, I would love to sit down with Fitz and talk about, you know, look, they never would take an opponent lightly. Right. But there is an element of this is all prep 
for October 2nd and beyond, right? From this point forward. And so you really wonder how much that they're doing. It's this weird thing where you you don't want to show your bag of tricks or tip-off formations and you're trying to just win it on strengths. But at the same time, you know, like the things we just talked about, on both sides of the ball, they obviously we know the weaknesses, so they sure as heck know the weaknesses. And what how are you there's nothing any coach will tell you, there's nothing like in game to kind of get those those reps to get that muscle memory of correcting those weaknesses. And so that's one of the things that fascinates me is over the next two weeks and, and particularly at Duke, it's like, okay, you know, stuff like Hunter in primary reach, he's gonna have all kinds of opportunities to pass on this team, right? And it just those are the things that that I go into the game and instead of huffing and puffing about the score, it's like looking at the game within the game as a fan so you don't drive yourself crazy. Right. I mean, I think that would be one of my one of my invitations for for fans to not just be so surface level on things. That's such an excellent point. And it and it makes me want to, I guess, put a little bit of a bow on things, because I think a lot of fans right now are looking at these first two games and thinking, it's 2019 all over again. And, and honestly, like a lot of fans started talking that way after the quarterback was named. Um, but something that's really important to call out. And I, like, I remember having this conversation nonstop in the early games of 19, 18, 17, 16, 15, like probably all the way back to the King Coulter years of man, when are we going to open up the, the playbook and throw deep? When is McCall going to open up the playbook and try to stretch the field? Folks, that just wasn't Mick McCall's M.O. <laughs> like, whether it was the way he coached his quarterbacks to make decisions or, you know, the way they, they liked to limit, you know, um, risk for certain things or whatever, uh, or they just didn't have the arm talent. I don't know what it was, but it wasn't the M.O. On offense, the scheme is not the limiting factor right now in that we've seen Northwestern throw deep. Like, yes, there are, there are probably wrinkles and plays, and, and I think to a point that, that – Jay, I heard you make earlier this week, like, let's not get too cute and, you know, being direct snap reverse things that go poorly and, and set us back. But um, like, this is not a case of, of gosh, when is Northwestern going to finally start throwing the ball downfield or, or, or trying to test defenses? Like we're, we've been doing that. And like, that was a game within the game that frustrated us and many other Northwestern fans to no end uh, in the, in the Mick McCall years that, um, if, you, if you're watching for that sort of, like, you'll see that stuff now. Like, like like the, the near miss on the deep bomb to Malik Washington in the Indiana State game is a perfect example. Great pass pro, great separation by the receiver, a, a near perfect pass, maybe a couple inches too far, a tiny little stumble from Malik right before he dove for that for that pass, and, like, what, what could have been if he was just able to close his hands faster and, and corral that ball? Um that type of stuff you just didn't see very often in the pre 2020 Northwestern offenses. And like, that's the sort of stuff to Jay's point, like, like look for those gems in, in, in these, in these upcoming games as we, as we prep for conference season. Jay, real quick before you go, I just want to say, you know, we alluded earlier to these emails that, that, that you send out um, that we're fortunate enough to, to read. And in the interest of, you know, we're talking about, for example, the September issues and all of us searching for the answers and everything. And I just wanted to do you a favor because I, I do have one really crystal clear answer for you um, in your and I quote from your latest email cheering for Ohio State in a featured game against Oregon was hard for me. 
I have a real clear answer for you to solve this problem. <laughs> the The easiest way to, to get around the difficulty of cheering for Ohio State is just not to cheer for Ohio State <laughs> anytime, ever. Oh, God. God help us. You know, wouldn't this be a world-class first problem for a Northwestern fan that we actually get back to Indy and we beat a team not named Ohio State and have to, <laughs> have to spend all off season rationalizing what that we're a big team. Oh games. Lord! Uh, well, you know, you know, we ducked him in in '95, Jay. You know, like that's that's what <laughs> exactly. happened. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, well, Jay, thank, thanks again so much for taking the time. Uh, we really, really do appreciate it, and uh, we will definitely see you around the tailgates. All right. Thanks, guys. Well, once again, that's Jay Sharman. Um, Oh my God, I could talk to him for hours. <laughs> like, it is so great to talk to Jay. And, you know, the, what he brings to the Northwestern community is just, is incredible. And I, I, the, I, the passion I, I, and the knowledge is unmatched. Like, let's, I, like, let's I, just I, leave that there. Yeah. I laugh so much, Sam, because I think about you and I in, in week one, walking up to, you know, the North Pole of the West Lot to go to Jay's tailgate and being like, we get it. There's there's a whole generational thing in that spot. All of a certain group of guys from a certain era, just as we are, etc. But we're almost like, shouldn't Jay like have like a throne in the middle of the West Lot that he kind of like holds court from, <laughs> you know, like right, you know, it's like right in the middle. Then people come by and pay homage, etc. It's like, come on, Jay, you got to go down in the center of the action or Northwestern, you know, kind of hook that up. Uh, but yeah, it's, of course, it's always just so great to have Jay on and, and yeah, you feel the passion all the time and how much he cares. And it's the kind of thing that fuels us. Also, I want to shout out the East lot. Um, our first tailgate in the East lot was fantastic. Like, oh my gosh, that is a, that's a great place for a tailgate. Now we were right next to the, uh, the Numbalum tailgate and like right next to Wildcat Alley, which I'd never seen Wildcat Alley in its full glory before. Cause you know, we've never been there, but that is a really cool area, especially if you got little kids to have them run around and kind of just be a part of things. So, you know, shout out to the East lot and uh, we'll see you guys back there for the Ohio game. It was great too to see, you know, a couple of members of the NU wild side came by and that was, you know, a lot of fun. It's like we, we, you know, we were not, I guess, members of a formal fan group when we were in school, but obviously we were just absolutely insane fans. And well, we I always mean, like to keep... S- Sam and I were in a cult. Oh, that's... Yeah. Called yeah, the marching true. band. Yeah, you guys were. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we were... Yeah, I was in a cult of, like, two idiots, like me and Garth Robertson standing courtside <laughs> at, like, every basketball game, throwing candy at Bobby Knight. It was, like, our own little two-man thing. But, the, but we... But... It's great to just see those guys come by, and I think if you guys are listening to the pod, you know, and this is why you're listening, right, that Northwestern is, from a numbers perspective, right, is always starved for the sheer volume of people who care. But the people who care really care. And it's like the guys who came by from the wild side of this group, like you can just see that they're part of that group. And... Um, we we just love meeting those guys. So thanks to those guys for coming by. And uh, yeah, it was great because we got to meet those guys. We had, you know, former Northwestern players coming up to us, wanting to talk and everything. And it was it was a lot of fun. And like Sammy said, um, East Lot was an interesting place to see. And the proximity to, yeah, the Wildcat Alley is just right. It's like if you've got kids, that's where you want to be. 
Uh, so real quick, I want to kind of whip around the rest of the conference uh, from last week and then kind of set up uh, this upcoming week, week three. Um, the biggest game of the day, Oregon goes to Columbus. 35-28 win over Ohio State. I want to I want to apologize too because I feel like I misrepresented Ohio State because uh, apparently I spent a lot of time talking about how garbage their pass defense was as if they had a run defense and I I just want to apologize for 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 making you believe that that there was that there were not two ways you could hit Ohio State um, that there was that there was only one but apparently there are two. I, the, the the number one thought going through my brain as I was watching this this game or while paying attention to this game, um, which I'll also mention, I did not think there was any way in hell that Oregon was going to beat Ohio State, especially they had like two of their best defensive players were out. And I just like those those top two wideouts at, at, Ohio, at Ohio State and really they had three guys go off um, just seemed so incandescent and uncoverable to me. I just. I didn't think anybody would be able to keep up, and then Oregon kept up, and a lot well, of it goes to. I mean, Stroud Anthony. went for four eighty four. Yeah, yeah, but but threw a pick and missed yeah. twenty passes, and yeah, I mean, Ohio State doesn't want to be throwing the ball fifty four times, right? But but a lot of it comes down to um, to CJ Verdell was awesome for Oregon, but Anthony Brown, quarterback, transferred from Boston College, and it it took me back to a funny moment. If if y'all will indulge me. Um, when Northwestern made the Bajakian hire, we were lucky enough to, to get a chance to talk to Adam Rittenberg and have him on the podcast from ESPN. Um, right as that news was, you know, it hadn't, it hadn't become official yet, but that's what, that's what people thought was, was going to happen. And um, we talked about Anthony Brown briefly and, and the fact that he was in the transfer portal and, and John, you had this moment where, where you suggested that we didn't want any more quarterbacks and Adam very politely was like, and like a week later you were like uh i by the way folks i gotta apologize because adam rittenberg was a hundred percent right and um yeah, and yeah we looked him up like yeah, once we did our deep tape dive he looked good on tape yep. that's right and and oregon's a perfect spot for him right as a true 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 dual threat qb it's just it's awesome to see a guy who's who's gone through that t- kind of experience right um transferring all the way across the country have this kind of success so um you know it's I, I'll just add to right that like through two games, Ohio State's receivers have looked like gods, and it hasn't felt like enough in either game. And oh, that Minnesota game was close for a while until the raw talent of those receivers finally shut the door. But that never happened with Oregon. And it's like right now Ohio State feels like a team where it's like these wide receivers can't be doing more for this team, and yet. It's like they, I mean, they are just, they're a team that has has not improved in the ways they needed to improve defensively from last year and may have regressed in other areas. And it's like, boy, oh boy, like you got Penn State looking damn good in that side of the conference and you've got, you know, so we're going to, we're going to see what they've got. Uh, you got Iowa going to Ames, beating Iowa State 27-17. Um, we talked about this with Jay, like that Iowa offense is not good it's not great um and and that's not us trying to be sour grapes or anything but when you you like dig into it go look at it like petrus does not look good um he was 50 percent complete in this game and yes ohio state has a good defense but he he didn't look so hot you know last week against indiana either um he's he's he averaged five yards per attempt uh he does not have any targets if you like sam laporta his his tight end who was pretty good last year 
is about the only thing they've got going. They, like, there's no speed that has emerged after the departure of um, uh, Amir Smith-Marset, who was not only the tallest but also the fastest wide receiver on both last year and this year's Iowa rosters, um, except he's no longer there. And so, like, they're like Tyler Goodson's a good running back, but if you can stop their run, their offense becomes problematic. At the same time, the other side of the ball is is absurd they're, right now. Uh, I mean, that's the thing. It's like they're and because it's like everything you said is true. Iowa's not ranked third in the country right now. They should be ranked third in the country right now. There's no one else in the top ten aside from Alabama and Georgia that can claim to have looked better on paper, offensive issues aside, than Iowa's looked the past two weeks. And that's the thing. Their defense is so talented, which we predicted coming into the season are playing as well as they could possibly play and are getting more breaks than they could possibly ask for, it's a perfect storm. And it's like, you can't say anything other than just like, this defense is being so ungodly good. They've scored 21 defensive points. Um, And I mean, it's like no one else has played a schedule like Iowa's played through the first two games of the year. And no one's looked as good doing it as Iowa through the first two games of the year. And it's like, you can't like... There's, you can't take away from that. So it's like, we were like, we were talking about it kind of a little bit as an aside with Jay, like off, off the pod, just being like, what would you like? And it's like, yeah, I like let this Iowa team keep, keep winning. Let them be number three all the way until we play us. Do, wouldn't you like a shot at that team knowing what their deficiency are deficiencies are and feeling like we could be in a low scoring game with them. So let's, you know, that's putting the cart before the horse, but um, let's, there's, there's nothing wrong from our perspective with Iowa being where they are right now. Oh, we got Penn state over ball state 44 to 13. Okay, cool. Uh, Wisconsin 34, Eastern Michigan seven Virginia. Uh, hey, what, what, one, one interesting thing on this Wisconsin game. And I think this is, this is something we talked about when we previewed Wisconsin is, you know, Jalen Berger was pre- pre- presumed the starter at running back this year, but just, you know, hadn't looked awesome last year. Um, didn't look incredible in that first week against Penn State, although granted it's Penn State's defense. Um, so he still carried the ball 15 times in this game against Eastern Michigan. Only got 62 yards, one touchdown, averaged four yards per carry. But Ches Malusi, who is the transfer from Clemson, I believe, yeah, uh, got right. 20 carries. He's and, obviously the guy. Yeah, ripped off 144 yards. He looks like the guy going forward for Wisconsin. So that's an interesting development to watch. Graham Mertz was accurate, 14 to 17, but only 141 yards. So, you know, maybe some of the concerns slash, uh, I don't know. He's not, like, I don't know that I'm going to say he's a horrible QB, but I don't know that he's a QB that can go out and win you a big game against a tough defense, I guess is what I'm saying. But Malusi looks like the real deal and uh, could potentially boost what Wisconsin's bringing to the table in coming weeks. Yeah, I won't say anything else about Wisconsin because I don't want to step on a game that I'm sure we're going to be taught. Well, no, actually, no, because it's in two weeks. But I was going to say, like, the the that Notre Dame game, as of right now, is suddenly a fascinating game because far be it from looking like two world beaters, it's looking like two teams with serious issues. And the question is, who's going to figure them out first? Um, and that'll be interesting to see. Uh, Virginia 42, Illinois 14. That, Hello. Uh, let <laughs> I mean, I mean, we didn't think Virginia was going to beat them down like this. I don't think. I think we thought they'd lose, but I don't think we thought it would be like this. No. I mean, it was a disaster. Um, uh, and it's it's 
it's funny not to step on Nebraska, but it's like Nebraska seems to have improved a little, but they're forever going to be weighed down by the fact that this Illinois team looks just like garbage. So Art Artur Sitkowski, after that incredible performance in relief against Nebraska, leading Illinois to the win, you know, completing 80% of his passes, throwing two picks, only getting sacked once, um, you know, looked pretty good against UTSA. His completion percentage dropped down to almost 50, rough, uh, but he did th- still throw three TDs. Against Virginia, he got sacked three times. He threw a pick. He was still only 53% completion. His, you know, yards per attempt was 4.9. Like, like it's been a it's been a stark stark negative trend there. So, um, I'm not sure if Peters, is, Brandon Peters, is still injured. I mean, it sounded like he was starting to. He sounded like he was starting to get into practice, but you know, I mean, his his stat line hasn't been much better than the one I just I just uh, outlined for uh, for Sitkowski out of that UVA game. But if I mean, if if like the quarterback play in the Nebraska game was what jumped off the page and kind of had me a little like, whoa, is Illinois actually like kind of good on offense? But um, it appears that they have been regressing quickly. Michigan State 42, Youngstown State 14. Um, Peyton Thorne 15 to 21, 280, and four touchdowns in the air. Uh, I mean, see, that's what I would have expected from Graham Mertz against Eastern Michigan. Yeah, maybe not four TDs, but you know, I mean, Mertz completed 15 pa- or 14 passes for half as many yards as Peyton Thorne. But just think about that. Uh, Walker Walker only went for uh, 57 yards on seven carries, but Jordan Simmons went for 121 on 16. So um, basically Pro- they did whatever they wanted to to Youngstown State. Probably a case very similar. I didn't watch this game, but I'm guessing it was very similar to uh, what Jay was describing with the Duke-NC uh, North Carolina A&T game where Youngstown just said, we are, we are going to stop your running backs and make you pass to beat us. And Michigan State was like, okay. I mean, 121 for Simmons, though, so. They didn't do a great job stopping him. Minnesota 31, Miami, Ohio 26. Oh, oh boy. boy. Oh boy, Gophs. I mean it's oh, it's man. rough cuz like we cuz you you feel for them, but yep. this team is they were uh you know, they were a one horse, you know, team and they are finding their way right now cuz Miami, Ohio is a bad football team and this game should not have been like this. Rutgers 17, Syracuse 7. God, that's an ugly game. I mean, look away, children. We talked, <laughs> we talked, we mentioned this on Twitter. I mean, I'll just go over. These two teams were a combined 5 for 29 on third down. Um, they were, I think, Syracuse had 265 total yards, Rutgers had 195 total yards. Um, the difference in this game is Syracuse turned it over five times and Rutgers turned it over. That's how Rutgers had less than 200 total yards, was three of 15 on third down and one by 10 because the other team turned it over five times. I mean, it was like Syracuse is a train wreck. Um, and, you know, we had a lot of eyes on this game and now we came around feeling like Rutgers showed nothing in this game and still got a W. So I think from a perspective of us having to play them in a couple of weeks, um, didn't exactly put the fear of God into us. Yeah. I mean, Syracuse clearly approached this game as Rutgers. We will make you, make you beat us with the pass. And Rutgers was like, we're, we're trying, but like, (laughs) doesn't seem to be working. Noah Vidral got sacked four times. And, and Syracuse, who has good running backs, let me be very clear about that, good running backs and a decent O-line, like they could not run the ball. They averaged one point yard per carry. 
1.2 yards per carry. Um, take out the sack yardage. I mean, it's still like in the in the two two and a half yards per carry zone. It's it's real real rough. Purdue forty nine, UConn zero. I UConn is. I, I'm only, I mean, you, you called Syracuse garbage. I mean, that's. I'm, being I'm, kind. I'm only. I'm only going to say this because I know how much Jay, who we just had on, will hate that I'm going to say it. <laughs> right right now, it, it's a race between UConn and Ohio for the low end of the FBS right now. Oh, boy. Uh, and just, there you go, Jay. Stew on that one for a couple of weeks. <laughs> two but, two but things. Yeah, oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, but but UConn, for their part, I mean, for a, for a you know, well, they're, they're not Power 5 team, but it doesn't get much worse. So two things I want to highlight from from Purdue. So one, a guy we talked about in our preview. Everybody knows who George Karloftis is, the the defensive end returning to Purdue, best defensive player for the last few years. His brother Yanni Karloftis, all name team, true freshman this year, playing linebacker. Linebacker um, had four tackles, two passes defense, and three QB hurries. So wow, um, we were wondering if. Right, we were yeah. wondering if we were going to see him, and we are. Karloftis brothers are um, have been activated, and then David Bell uh, continues to show why he's one of the best receivers in the conference with three TDs and 121 yards. I mean, respect for Purdue. They've they've haven't played the greatest competition, but Purdue is getting it done through two weeks. I also saw um, some like so being fans of Veronica Burton and the Northwestern women's basketball team. Um, we follow a lot of other Burtons on Twitter, and I saw there was a lot of excitement. I think uh, the, the the Burton family uh, got to watch Austin Burton go five for five uh, in relief duty in this game. He looked he looked decent as the the third QB on the field. So um. here's a game that uh, I, I we all whiffed on: Nebraska twenty eight, Buffalo three. I mean. Yeah, with like we didn't come out and say they will lose. I mean, we said like uh, Buffalo. I, I kind of did, but okay. Yeah. Well, Buffalo's D line was good and had Nebraska like like had at least two goal line stands early on against Nebraska. Um, but they uh, they couldn't do anything on the other side of the ball and eventually you know wore down. And it, you know, but I, I think the the broader point here is, you know, Nebraska's still only going to go as far as Adrian Martinez carries them, but that defense has improved. Right. Right. And that's the thing. I think what was the big thing about this game is if Nebraska is going to win games, the recipe is going to look exactly like this. This is the best defense of the Scott Frost era. We talked about that in the summer. We talked about it last week, how they, you know, or two weeks ago, how they must've felt just handcuffed to this, you know, god awful mess that was going on on the other side of the ball, and they showed out against a Buffalo team that, albeit against an FCS opponent, put up a ton of points the week before, and Nebraska stoned them and more than covered in this game. And you mix that with a proto, you know, a classic Martinez performance, right? The guy makes Nebraska fans tear their hair out half the time, and then he has games like this where he has, you know, more than 350 total yards and basically carries the the offense. So. You know, it's these are the kind of things we're going to have to watch out for. But I think Nebraska is definitely better than they were two weeks ago. Illinois has only looked worse since then, though. And that's the thing. Nebraska's going to be kind of handcuffed to that game. But they do look better. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Indiana writes the ship 56-14 over Idaho. Um, Penix, 11 of 16 for 68 yards. Only 68 yards. Uh, two touchdowns. Man. Jack Tuttle, 2 of 491 and a touchdown. Penix is a conundrum right now. Um, 
I mean, I don't know if he got hurt in the game against Iowa. I, but, I just wonder uh, how recovered he is from that knee. I mean, that yeah, was, that's possible. That was fairly late in the season when he got hurt, and you know, ACL recovery takes a while. I don't know. Yeah, I, I haven't it's, seen him, so I can't really speak to that. But that's the first thing that just pops in my head. Yeah, we'll see. Maryland sixty-two, Howard zero. Goodness gracious! Cool. Uh, yeah, I will say, you know, Maryland's got some some meaningful games coming down the stretch, and I mean, Talia's certainly looked good so yeah, far. Yeah, twenty-two and twenty-seven for two seventy-four and three touchdowns. That's a nice game for Tangavaloa. And then uh, finally, Michigan thirty-one, Washington ten. Washington, oh my God, I I whiffed on that. I thought they were going to be good, and whew, they are not. They they were ranked week one, right? They sure coming were coming into the season. Yeah, and they lost I mean, to Montana. Oof. I mean, it's like Oof. it's like trying to draw any conclusions from this game. Is Michigan good on defense because they held Washington to ten points? Because Washington scored more points against Michigan than they did against Montana. So I'm like, I don't like Washington. Seems to just be a train wreck right now. So it's again, it's like these games where you think they're going to be these titanic matchups, and then they just so under deliver. I mean, again. Not to take away from Michigan, like they they had, you know, Corum had a great game running the ball, great day running the ball, and they got a convincing win. It's just Washington's such a whiff this year that it's hard to know. So if, if people were concerned that Hunter Johnson went, what, 7 for 16 or 9 for 16, I forget what it was, um, whatever his stat line was, Cade McNamara, 7 of 15 for 44 yards. Um, Michigan barely even tried to pass in this game. They were able to run all over Washington, which is definitely a surprise. I mean, Washington has a has a robust history and, and pedigree as a defensive line factory. Um, and, you know, we thought Michigan was going to be able to run the ball better this year. Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins did whatever they wanted um, on the ground. Haskins has looked, you know, pretty darn good through, through two weeks now. But I am still just, like, befuddled by this Cade McNamara thing and and – the fact that Michigan has not, you know, taken this this opportunity with these first two easy games to to get JJ McCarthy up to speed, and and maybe we'll see it in the coming weeks. Um, maybe they'll be their hands going to be forced there, but it's um, it's a real strange decision in my in my opinion. So, um, any other games last week that uh, we need? To, you know, I know we're running a little bit long, but um, <laughs> I, I, all we should talk about, and then we should move on to to the next week preview, is is Texas going to Arkansas, <laughs> the first game against an SEC opponent since announcing they're going to the SEC and getting absolutely curb stomped. Arkansas displaying on the jumbotron a gigantic horns down. Um, at the end of the game, just like this, this could not be more of a PR nightmare for Texas. And I like, I won't lie. There's a lot of reasons in my life that I have to like the university of Texas. The fact that they, you know, fired Tom Herman so late in the process and hired Steve Sarkeesian, a guy that, you know, many people think like, it's kind of no different from Tom Herman. Like, like you, you, like that's not an upgrade. You're not really, you're trading maybe one guy that supports the, the, the eyes of Texas song for, for a guy that, that, supported his players um and karma's a bitch like like i don't want to root against this team but um man this is a a train wreck for them from from a pr standpoint more than anything the the only other game that i'll just mention real briefly um we mentioned it on twitter so um rod campbell 
still playing college football, sixth year senior uh, now um, with the extra year of eligibility at SIU, Southern Illinois. Southern Illinois, I believe, I want to say they had a, it was either at the very end of the second quarter or they took a halftime lead into the half against Kansas State. Um, and Kansas State had a rally in the second half to win that game. The reason I bring that up is Kansas State beat Stanford in week one handily, and then Stanford turned around and beat USC in week two. Had SIU held on in this game, Rod Campbell would have a transitive win over USC as an SIU Saluki, which would have been pretty awesome. But it's it's that kind of craziness that, you know, so much of that lives in, in weeks one and two of a college football season. And, and that's this year's no exception. I also want to shout out uh, Colorado uh, for hanging with Texas A&M. I mean, A&M needed a, a late touchdown uh, to win that game. But uh, Texas A&M goes to Denver, wins 10-7 over Colorado. But great Great game by Colorado to just, I mean, that Texas A&M by all rights should have, you know, blown Colorado out of the water. They were a 17 point favorite going in, but, you know, props to Colorado for keeping it close and almost pulling that thing out. Let's go to this weekend's game real quick. We got a Friday night game, Maryland at Illinois. Maryland is seven and a half point favorite on the road. Seems right, but Maryland does this thing where they get into conference play and things tend to go awry. I, like, I mean, Tonga Vailoa, to, to the point we made earlier, looks awesome and should be able to carve up this Illinois defense, and uh, I don't know that Sikowski's up to the, to the task of keeping up. We'll see. High noon on uh, – high noon Eastern, uh, 11 What's o'clock that? Central. Who's that, who's that bell tolling for? Oh, it's Nebraska. The bell tolls for the Nebraska. Um, if you watched any of the NFL games on, on Fox today, you would have seen countless promos, uh, you know, saying that Nebraska is going down to Oklahoma 50 year anniversary of the game of the century. Will it be another one? No, no, it will not. (laughs) (laughs) So I like, it might be a beat down of the century. Yeah. It's, it is, it is not going to be the game of the century. It would be a, a total shock if Nebraska pulled this off. But that being said, Oklahoma's defense looked piss poor week one. Yeah. Um, and if you recall last year, you know, Nebraska started the year off against Ohio State. They looked real good in the first half. The second half did not go well, but I would not be surprised if, I mean, if nothing else buoyed by, you know, just the, the enormity of this game, um, that the Nebraska, I mean, the Nebraska's players are going to come out with their hair on fire. Um, and they're, you know, they're not going to be intimidated by, by the Oklahoma stadium or crowd which is quite impressive um but they're gonna lap that up and, and feed off that energy and i i i again i'll be absolutely stunned if they have what it takes to go the distance with with oklahoma and the likes of the talent on that team but um oklahoma's defense is rough and uh all it takes is, is you know some lucky breaks and it could be an interesting second half uh, your Cincinnati Bearcats guys going to Bloomington to take on Indiana. Cincinnati a three point favorite. I, I should mention Oklahoma is a twenty two point favorite in that game against Nebraska. <laughs> oh Jesus! Uh, buried Thank the for, buried the lead there. <laughs> Thank you for going back for that. That was worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um yeah. So Cincinnati at Indiana. Uh, ba- I, so so based on how Indiana has looked the first two weeks, um, and I, I mean I I guess. I guess last game for both teams was similar that they kind of struggled early on and then ultimately, you know, won out. But um, 
So I, I mentioned that I went to the game this past weekend. What I didn't mention is that I sat in the very front row directly behind the offensive bench. Ooh. Um, namely because it was a ticket I could find, and it's an obstructed view, so it was a good deal. And I was like, I think my, my five-year-old son will really enjoy like getting to watch Evan Prater and Desmond Ritter warm up five feet in front of him, um, which was really freaking cool for me, too, if I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Um, but uh, I tell you, I tell you what, like the Cincinnati, the Cincinnati Bearcats look the part. I mean, this team looks like a power five team. They um, well, they're going they, to be. They are, I guess, they, technically now. Well, right? yeah, I, I guess they are. I live in Big Twelve country once again, um, surprisingly, um, which was well, also prominently on display. That like they gave out Big Twelve T-shirts to everybody. They were waving the the uh, a Big Twelve flag at at the start of the game, and they should be excited about it, right? But um, but I tell you what, that defense is absolutely nasty they were having some trouble getting getting um murray stayed off the field in the first half and those troubles did not persist um if 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 Penix is careless with the ball they will absolutely pounce um i don't know at, at the same time if indiana captures what they were you know last season they could absolutely hang with and beat cincinnati so it'll just be a really yeah. interesting game to watch yeah, I'm really I, – I, I got to be honest. I'm just pulling for Indiana here. Just with such a rough start to the year and with, you know, potentially Penix having issues. I just want to see Penix have a great game in this game. And, and if they can do it and get the win, that's that would be great. Uh, Michigan State going down to Miami. Um, hopefully no more cats will be falling from the upper deck. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, Shouts to those heroes, though, with yeah. the flag using it. Oh, my God. That was amazing. Uh, Miami is six and a half point favorite against Sparky. Hey, I mean, I don't think any of us would have said that Miami was only going to be a six and a half point favorite in this game going into the year. Shouts to Michigan State. Hey, can't take away what they've done so far. Um, I think we'll all feel a real gut punch if they go in and lay an egg uh, in Coral Gables. Hopefully that won't happen. So um, let's let's see him show out. Uh, Rocky Lombardi uh, going back to Michigan, taking the Northern Illinois Huskies uh, to the big house to take on Michigan. Michigan, a 27-point favorite against uh, Northern. Rocky Lombardi uh, in in two games has has looked pretty good. I mean, well, I guess he threw three picks against Wyoming, so that's not great. Um, yeah, that was, a, that was a barn board burner, 50-43. to 43. Wow. Um, but yeah. they, they did upset Georgia Tech on the road. So, who I mean, you know, he's going to be familiar with Michigan. They're going to be familiar with him. Northern Illinois does not look like a great team this year. So, hey, uh, like and NIU, you've, you've gone into Lincoln and got a win. Now go into Ann Arbor and get a win. Let's, let's see you do it. Uh, Minnesota at Colorado. Colorado, I mean, Colorado's Sammy, one and a half I'm, Sammy I'm feeling pretty good if I'm your buffs right now. This sets up pretty nicely for him. Yeah, I mean, unless unless Colorado has a real letdown from um, from that that last minute loss against A and M, like they're they're the better team right now. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Like, so Minnesota obviously didn't have a lot of time to to adjust after losing Ibrahim. Um, Trace and Potts came in and ran for them, which was fine against a Miami team that doesn't have much of a defense, but. Like my eyes are on Dylan Wright, the the transfer from A and M, who looked fantastic against Ohio State, and could be could be a real problem for Colorado to cover if if he and Morgan can get going. Uh, One thirty Central on NBC, where you 
can actually watch the game uh, this, this yeah right week. It's uh, fascinating you you mean you mean we can all actually watch it incredible yeah uh, Purdue at Notre Dame Notre Dame a seven point favorite man they I I mean per, buckle up per, baby I mean Purdue could they be catching this at the at a better time or buckle what? up I mean per, I mean it's this is Purdue is playing the exact right way against a Notre Dame team that is playing the exact right way for Purdue to have a shot to pull this off. There's no doubt about that. Iowa at home versus... Hold hold on. I mean, so Toledo, you know, started off this game with three field... Like this past week, three field goals and an interception return for a touchdown. And if you weren't paying attention, had the lead at at, at half, 16 to 14. Nobody scored in the third quarter. And then they're just... Both teams ripped off a ton of points um, in, in the fourth. And like... I don't like Toledo certainly doesn't have anyone on their team with the talent of a David Bell. And you saw Florida state be able to go deep against Notre Dame and hit big passes for big touchdowns all over the place. They are going to have their hands full with Purdue. Kent state at Iowa, Iowa 22 and a half point favorite. Um, Look away, children. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. This is good. State, they're going to destroy Kent State. Yeah, will will who will Kent State's offense outscore Iowa's defense? I I'm guessing no. Uh, Tulsa at Ohio State. Ohio State a 25 point favorite. I yeah, just Ohio lo- State's going to get right here. I just love though that I actually clicked for a split second to see how good Tulsa was this season not, up until this point. Not good. <laughs> they're not, they're not, but they're, I love that I was able to click. Yeah. They, <laughs> they lost to UC Davis week one. And then, um, I mean, I guess a close loss to Oklahoma state, but that's kind of like a rivalry for them. So, um, yeah, no, this is not going to go well. Uh, the blue hens of Delaware traveled to Piscataway to take on Rutgers. Delaware, however, is a pretty decent FCS team. So yeah, I don't know. Go. We'll, we'll the, see what the, happens. The, the fighting Joe Flacco's. Come on, Delaware. Let's go. Take it to him. And then uh, 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Central on ABC. Uh, number 22, Auburn at number 10, Penn State. Penn State a six-and-a-half-point favorite. I don't know, guys. I mean, who's who's the who's the the more important gift from God to college football? Is it Brian Carson <laughs> or is it James Franklin? I'm just I'm just not sure which can, one is more. Can we put like, can we put Scuzz on a plane and get him down to this game? That would be and and then fly fly Dabo Sweeney in at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, fly Dabo, fly Dabo in. Oh my god, put those put those yeah. three in a in a rocket and shoot it to the moon. I um, mean, based on what we've seen so far, this ought to be Penn State. They're yeah, definitely. They've, they've looked. They've looked great so far, and I think they're they're showing like the potential of like what they can be. And their defense, you know, which had real potential last season, was really good, but was still you know had have pieces lock into place. Those pieces have locked into place. Like they look great. Are they missing anyone from targeting? Because so they're they're the guy that was playing best against Wisconsin. Their linebacker, I'm blanking on the name, number thirteen, got kicked out of the Wisconsin game for targeting in the second half. And so missed the first half of the ball state game. And then I think I saw that there was another player um, who went out uh, late against ball state and they're going to be missing. Oh, it's possible. I'm not sure. But I mean, like the way they've, the way they played, you know, against Wisconsin and it's, it's hard to believe that Auburn is going to show them something more. So, I mean, I, again, yeah. Rudolph, I'll be surprised. Tyler Rudolph? But, 
Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, again, I think like that, I, I don't think that's going to make that huge of a yeah, difference. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a big deal. Um, Real quick, nationally, I just scanning through the schedule, the only big game is uh, Alabama-Florida. Is it a big game, though? Yeah, exactly. I feel like we all get teased by Florida, like, early. I just don't feel like that's that's going to be. I feel like Alabama's going to going to be Alabama here who I mean until they play Georgia um I'm just not biting like I maybe Ole Miss because because Kiffin is fun and and kooky but um I just don't think there's anybody in the SEC that's even in the conversation with them right now when you look at when you look at LSU and you look at um A&M struggles uh yeah I mean is there someone I'm missing I mean, Florida would be the closest yeah. after, you know, other than other than Georgia. Yeah, we'll see. Again, that's like I'm just expecting that. I, I'm expecting that game to not be as close as everyone wants it to be. I think Alabama's going to step up. All right. I, I know this has been a long one tonight, but, um, you know, having that conversation with Jay was really fantastic. And I, I think absolutely worth uh, the few extra minutes that uh, you spent on it. Hopefully you enjoyed uh, our episode tonight. Uh, anything? Jay, Jay's the Jay's the best. Anytime we can get Jay on, we're 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 stoked to talk to him. Absolutely, um, yeah, he's phenomenal. I I do just want to mention one thing really quickly. I felt like I went long on defense and didn't mention one crucial thing, right? Which was just ultimately, if if this game would have been thirty eight to six, people wouldn't have been griping nearly as much. And for the game to be thirty eight to six, we had to find two more touchdowns, and those touchdowns come down mainly to like pass pro being better in certain situations. And mainly to basic mechanics and get, and plays not getting screwed up, right? Snaps going right, handoffs going right, stuff that sh- shouldn't be an issue. And yet, you know, we've had, I think, three balls get put on the deck in two weeks from just exchange issues, right? If we solve those issues, we're going to solve Duke. I have no doubt about that. Um, and finally, if anyone has any idea how to watch this game... Uh, in the Chicago area, uh, anyone has any bootleg ACC network feeds, let me know. Because uh, I have no idea how I'm going to be able to watch this game on, on Saturday. Uh, ACC network, not available in uh, Chicago on Comcast. So, cool. Yeah. Northwestern Northwestern bars, I expect, are, are going to have a pretty good weekend in and around the Chicago area. And we'll Is Purple go ahead. Hay still open? <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, no. Uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at westlawpirates, and email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John LaCombe and Eric Scowsby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. 